borrow money. <laughs> what is that, Gettys? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute, just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Probably... Here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they, what'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait, wait for what? Until their children grow up and leave them? Until they're so old and broken down that they, do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I... You're the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on. Welcome to The Machine, everyone. I am your host, Mario, here with my co-host, Jeff Rowe. Journey with us as we adventure into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. Hello, welcome back, and Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, whatever you're celebrating this season. From us to you, this special little episode of what uh, we're, we're going to call It's a Wonderful Life, because that's what we're doing. We're going over... The movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a movie you and I, Jeffro, which, by the way, Jeffro is here with us. You and I hold dear to our hearts. We love this movie. It's, it's my favorite holiday movie. It is definitely one that is completely timeless, regardless of how many times the concept is redone and many different movies. Uh, just to name a couple off the top of my head, I'm thinking uh, Family Man, which was very well done with Nicolas Cage. It was kind of reversed. You know, he didn't have these things, and then he had a glimpse of the, the future he could have. You know, how, how good it could be if he would just, you know, give in to his heart rather than his greed, right? Right, yeah. Uh, it click, the movie Click with Adam Sandler. 
Or he has a little remote control and, you know, he can fast forward time or pause time or, or do all this. And he finds out that the most important thing in his life are his family and loved ones. You know, basic same message that we're getting here. But we're going to go through this movie because we feel it, it, it's it's very important. It's a very underrated movie. The movie did not do well when it came out, it bombed in the box office, right? We were just talking about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, it completely bombed. I believe the studio even just sold it to the television networks just to get it off their hands because they were losing so much money with it. And that didn't work out too well because they later found out after, you know, some things they they don't hop out. And it, here's one of my issues with uh, cinema these days, you know. I'm, I'm a huge Marvel fan. I grew up with Marvel, right? I like the, the, the treat for the eye, and these things are fun to go and watch. I, I'm going to see the new Spider-Man. Hell yeah, I am. Um, and, and I enjoy that stuff. There's more to cinema than just the treat for the eye. I mean, it's great, but give me something that you know doesn't necessarily have explosions and all the CG stuff in it. Give me a good story. Even if it's a comedy, give me a... a Give me a really good story that I, when I'm watching, I'm invested in, and you don't have to pull out all of these special effects to keep me interested. Give me something like that. I think that's lost these days. Yeah, that's that's the magic with these holiday movies, especially the really good ones, is they're not driven by special effects. They're driven by heart, and that's why I was attracted to this film, and that's why you know the film did so well on television because it was at a time when television was new and they needed to fill time during the holidays because a lot of people weren't watching television during the holidays they were shopping and spending time with their families so what ended up happening this became like a cult classic and after you know several decades people becoming familiar with it something like you know a christmas story is always on during the holidays and people just grew attached to it and realized the heart and some of the subtleties that they discussed like in the open we just played what's what's funny is that stuff percolates into today's society and it is so poignant it's like you know the elite class has been around forever and the little man the you know the the david has been fighting goliath since the beginning and it's it's just really interesting and and what it, what it speaks to is, you know, the future is unobtainable. The past is in the past. So the only thing we can enjoy is the now, which is why it's called a present. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, you know, these movies like you discussed in the beginning here, you know, uh, the Nicolas Cage movie and Click and all these other movies. That's something that they all touch on. You know, the the main character loses fact loses the fact loses the sense of how now to them isn't important they're always working for the future right and they they lose sight of the heart of now which is so easy for anybody to do these days especially in the now and i'll say that even this year even this season with what the inflation that we're seeing everywhere oh and uh you know the, the we were just talking about how um everybody's advocating for more everybody wants you know higher wages everybody wants higher minimum wage and i like you and i keep going back and forth who do you think's footing this bill because it's not going to be your employer eventually you know if if your employer has to raise costs they're you know to 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 pay you that higher competitive wage so they can keep you on which is fine you know they're not just going to give it to you out of their salary they're not going to take that hit 
So what happens here then is they raise their prices and then, you know, next thing you know, somebody else is raising their price because they're, they're buying his goods. And now, I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrible chain reaction and not to get, you know, talking about that bubble or anything. Cause we are, we're talking about this movie. It's a wonderful life and we're going to try to stay on track. And you did mention another movie, um, a Christmas story, which I was just at the Christmas story house, uh, in Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Heights, where they filmed this movie, where I learned a lot of things about them because that's another timeless classic to me. I grew up watching that movie. Um, so the, a Christmas story was, was filmed in Cleveland Heights after Christmas, right? Uh, they asked uh, one of the department stores if they could keep their Christmas decorations out, and Higby's was one of them. And said, "Yeah, you know, we'll keep the Christmas decorations out." One of the problems was is it was the year they filmed it, which I believe is 1982, if I'm not mistaken, the year I was born. I'm, I'm a, I, yeah, I'm aging myself now. Thank okay. you. Um, but whenever the movie was made in Cleveland, you know, we live here in Ohio, Northeast Ohio, especially up around the lake, we're used to seeing at least lake effects now, right? None this year that they filmed it. And none, zero snow the year they filmed it. So, you know, obviously they use substitutes just like they did in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, with the uh, foam, the firefighter foam. They used uh, mashed potato flakes to create falling snowflakes. Uh, and some of the movie was even filmed in Canada, which I thought, you know, had no idea, which kind of blew me away. Uh, but going back to this movie. Well, yeah, actually, I touched base on what you're talking yeah. about there. The special effects director for A Wonderful Life, uh, a lot of the movie was filmed in, in California in 90 degree weather. And he actually won an uh, Oscar in it for his innovation of the fake snow. And it's a wonderful life, which, you know, was upgraded and improved over the years, but he was, you know, I'm not sure the director's name of, of special effects, but he actually won an award for his work on the fake snow and it's a wonderful life. So, and one of the things that I did learn about the fake snow they used <laughs> And and uh, a Christmas story that people didn't know is that, and even they didn't you they didn't know when they used that the firefighter foam back then had contained asbestos. So like little Randy when he falls in the snow and he's trying to get out, he's got that big snowsuit on and he's trying to roll around. I can't get up. He was rolling around in asbestos. <laughs> wow. And we didn't know in, in the movie, I'll have to correct myself because I said 1982, the movie was made and released in 1983. So I was a year old. But uh, still another movie uh, I hold dear to my heart. But let's go back. Let's talk about... Have uh, you or a loved one been in contact with mesothelioma? <laughs> or a, been on a set of a Christmas movie in the 80s, right? <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's go back. Let, let's start let's start talking about this movie. It's a Wonderful Life, right? Right. So in the beginning, we see uh, these angels, right? Quote, unquote, angels. And in which they, they make them look like constellations right, right. constellations which is I, really cool yeah well actually it's a real constellation that they show it's it's a constellation called uh the stevens quintet it, it's a set of constellations 
that are actually you can find them in, in your telescope. The uh, scientific name is NGC seven three one eight and NGC seven three two zero. So if anybody wow. has you know a telescope, you can I guess punch in those coordinates and actually see the, the constellation that's in the movie. That's interesting. That's really cool. See, I didn't know that. So Jeffrey brings a little, little more information <laughs> here. That's really cool. But uh, they're talking about it. They're talking about uh, James. It's James Stewart, right? James Stewart. James Stewart's character. Uh, uh, George. George Bailey. George Bailey. He's having this sort of crisis, right? He's broken down, as as many of us get broken down, where we we truly believe that you know people around us and life around us like other people would be better off if we didn't impact their lives right like what would happen i think everybody asks this question right everybody wonders sometime what how could the outcome be different if i didn't intervene right right everybody wonders that and uh he's going through this crisis at this point in the beginning of this movie where he's 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 pleading to God, you know, I'm at my wit's end, help me. And he's on the side of a bridge, and he's thinking about jumping in, right? Just ending it all. They send an angel, right, to go down and help him out. But before they do that, they give George Bailey's story, right? They're explaining to this age, uh, angel. Clarence was his name. He, <laughs> ma- he made, yeah. Interesting, uh, when, they, they, when they summon Clarence. To this, this little summit, um, they reference his occupation prior to his death back whenever he originally was alive. He was a clockmaker. Right. So it's interesting that he has this ability to sort of manipulate time. Right. So Clarence is his name. Here we have this, this sort of newbie angel, hasn't got his wings. He's... Looking through the past of George Bailey, learning about the guy he's, you know, he's supposed to keep from making this, this horrible, horrible change. It goes back and it shows George Bailey with his little friends and they're sliding down this hill across this little pond or whatever. His brother goes in, slides down and falls in through some thin ice. Well, George wasn't there. He makes a comparison later on in the movie. George wasn't there. His little brother dies, right? But he was there. He was there. He helps his little brother out. And uh, one of the things I thought was really cool about the movie is they implemented that and the fact that he lost his hearing later on in the movie, which if you haven't watched the movie, you're going to hear all kinds of spoilers, by the way. if Maybe it will entice you to go back and watch the movie. Uh, but one of the things is he can't. he loses hearing. He sacrifices hearing in one of his ears to, to save his brother's life, right? That's how implemental he is to the people around him. And they're just, you know, they're going through it and they're showing the viewer this. So uh, when he meets up with Clarence again later, you know, he says, oh, you've never been born. Well, then George can hear out of his ear now. Right, yeah. Which was really, you know, it was one of those things that went back and forth. It was really cool. Because um, obviously initially whenever he, he encounters this angel, he doesn't believe him. So right. that was one of the ways. Well, I mean... It, if somebody comes to your house right now and says, hey, listen, I'm an angel. You don't want to be born? Boom, bada bing, pa, you're not born. What's going on with you? How's your life now? For whatever reason, this angel's like, hey, you know what? It's me. It's a, He's right. Italian, right? 
right? I, I, or uh, James Gandalf. We get James Gandalf. Oh, what the hell are you talking about? What do you want to do? You want you want to not be born? Fine, sure. We'll, not, we'll let you not be born. Hey, you're fucking dead. How about that? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's my angel. James Gandolfini is going to be my angel. Yeah. He, I, there's no story to go back through. You know, if, if I ever have this crisis, he's just going to come down, smack me upside the head. What's the matter with you? Use your fucking head. That's quick and easy. <laughs> no, you know one. It's a short story. It's yeah. a short movie. That's, That's why they never make movie. movies about right. me. Uh, one of the things that I really thought was interesting in some of the opening scenes was the reason they gave why uh, they were going to initially send the angel. And Clarence asks, uh, I think it was Joseph was one of the, I think it was the character of the, of, uh, the creator or, or one of the angels that were represented by the constellation. constellation. Right. Claren- or, yeah, Clarence asks, you know, what is, what is wrong with George? You know, why, you know, why would I need to go down and help him? Is he sick? And uh, the constellation or, or angel says, worse, he's discouraged. Right. Which is interesting because if you think about it, a physical ailment like pain or, or sickness or something you would think could be like cancer or whatever could be, you know, the worst thing you could go through. And they're saying, no, the worst thing you can do or, or be dealing with is like a mental illness or an emotional illness. Yeah. So again, you know, here we go. You know, this is sort of a weird dichotomy of, you know, what's worse than a physical illness. Uh, uh, an emotional illness that's that's something that struck me whenever you know thinking about how how many really interesting elements this movie touches on right because we're i mean we're talking about george bailey a person who had lost the will to live in this moment in, in, in this moment right like so like you were saying you know referencing you know all the things that he did in this in this movie whenever they're doing these flashbacks with clarence the angel you know in his mind his entire life was nothing but sacrifices. And he always, he was so, he, he was such a person with a big heart. And there were so many things he wanted to do. He had all these ideas. He wanted to be, you know, an explorer. He wanted to be an engineer. He wanted to get out of the small town. He wanted to get out of Bedford Falls. You know, and he was a dreamer. He was a dreamer. Uh, so much so, every time he went into the pharmacy, where he worked, he would click that little flint thing and says, you know, wish I had a million dollars. Hoo-ha, right? Hot dog. Hot dog, right? And, uh, you know, he's always dreaming. And it seemed like he gave up his hearing, right? He lost his hearing. Uh, you know, he saved his Obviously, he didn't do it on purpose, but, you know, he lost his hearing. Um, he was supposed to go to college. At first, he couldn't leave home to go to college because he had to help out with the home savings and loan. Um, after... You mean Bailey Building alone? <laughs> Bailey Building he's alone. A, yeah, he's the a Bailey home Building alone. alone. Yeah, or yeah, <laughs> Building alone. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Um, so what he he was told to do was wait until his younger brother graduated high school, and once his brother graduated high school, he could take over right. in the office and he could go to college. Well, this happens, right? And then his father passes away right at this moment where he's supposed to initially go off to college, which leads us to the opening clip of this this episode. Right. So, exactly. And that's, you know, so at this point, he's faced with this dilemma that Potter, who is the antagonist in the movie, 
the evil Pelosi, I mean, the evil you know, Schumer, oh, I'm sorry, the evil, you know, Biden, oh, man, sorry, he, he, he's the uh, evil elite in, in, in this film, okay, my, I'm sorry, I, I, I couldn't get the right name out, my apologies. Um, I mean, we, that list could go on and on and right, on. Right, um, So anyways, he's the, the element that is constantly present in, in George's life, the negative presence. And at, in that clip, they're, I believe, in a meeting with the city council. And mm-hmm. Potter is trying to buy out the building and loan right. because the founder passed away and you know they're in financial distress which they're constantly in financial distress so you know george wants to go off to college he right? wants to explore he wants, he to, wants to explore things. but the only way to save the building and loan is for him to stay in town so he stays in town he makes the sacrifice he makes the sacrifice he, he realizes even though it's the, it's the choice that he doesn't want to make he decides to you know, honor his father's legacy. And his younger brother then gets a football scholarship, becomes second team All-American, right? He goes off, has this really prestigious college, right. you know, education. He's thinking, okay, once he gets back from college, once he gets back from college, I can, time, I can, right? I could then go to college and yeah. he could take over. Well, his brother falls in love in college, comes home, graduates, and he introduces the love of his life. Right, his wife, his his fiance, future to be wife. Right? Oh, he said wife. Oh, did he? I were he were they married? Wife. Okay. You know, we'll we'll, we'll share the clip here, um, and and uh, let's find out. Let's share the clip here. Well, I wired you. I had a surprise. Here she is. Meet the wife. What am I doing? Congratulations. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, they were married. What a surprise. Yeah. So so he comes off the train. Right. Right. So here's right. George again. He's finding himself. Uh, he his sister, new sister in law informs him that her father has offered his brother a great opportunity and a job that his brother didn't ask for initially. But you know, George asks you know his wife and you know, hey, is this a good opportunity? You know what you know what's the deal with this? And he kind of sort of is the thought is percolating in his brain. You know. Gonna have to maybe stick around, and then it kind of. What's weird about it is the movie in the next few up, you know, next few scenes shows that he's sort of falling for Mary, the the love interest in the in the movie, right? Because Mary actually goes off to college. I believe it was New York. Uh, she she went to New York with Sam Wainwright, right? And she comes back, and he goes, "Well, why why would you come back here? Right. There's nothing here for you, old Bedford Falls," and. Mary goes, well, I don't really like the big city too much. You know, I, I want to come back home. And she always had a little bit of an infatuation of good old did. George she Bailey. Did. Good old George Bailey. And it, not not to mention Donna Reed was a complete dish oh, back in the day, man. Wow. I mean, come on. I mean, we all have our interests and everything, and that's fine. And, you know, different flavors for different days. But Donna Reed back in the day, I mean, this she's what, old enough to be our grandmother by now. Uh, she she could still be on the list. She's yeah right, but uh, she comes back. She basically she comes back with the you know, the, the intent to be with George to be with George, right? So George you know finds himself um, at her door 
at this point. You know, he's he's got all these things and all these emotions going on in his mind, and he's thinking about, well, now, you know, my kid brother just got, went off and got married. He's got great opportunities, and I don't want to ruin that for him with my own uh, my own selfish inquiries in life. Maybe I just need to keep this, you know, keep things going. You know, things things aren't that horrible right now. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll make another sacrifice. And then Mary falls on his lap, right? Right. And he, he almost gets upset at her. He does. He gets mad because he 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 sees it. Like, he, he sees what yeah, he's starting to feel for her. And he's getting mad at the fact that he he's almost predicting his own future. He's like, no, I don't. I don't want to be with you, Mary. No, I don't I, want to fall in love. I don't want to fall in love with you. Right. This isn't right. This, you know, an iconic scene. Which I, I'm, I'm going to play this clip. But an iconic scene to me, another iconic scene in this movie, which this movie is full of them. But it's just like you, you perfectly painted this picture out. You know, he's, he's got aspirations in life still. He's still holding on to his dreams. You know, he still has time. He's not old. He, you know. Now he's making sacrifices, and now this beautiful woman falls in front of him, and he knows if he takes an extra step, his dreams get further away from him. So I'm going to play this clip right here. What are you doing? Picketing? Oh, Mary. I just happened to be passing by here. Yes, so I noticed. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned and said you were on your way over to pay me a visit. My mother just called you? Well, how'd she know? Didn't you tell her? I didn't tell anybody. I just went for a walk. Happened to be passing by here. That's... What, what do you... Uh... Went for a walk, that's all. I'll be downstairs, Mother. All right, dear. Well, are you coming in or aren't you? Well, I'll come in for a minute. But I, I... I didn't tell anybody I was coming over here, you know. When'd you get back? Tuesday. Let's get that dress. I thought you would go back to New York like Sam and Angie and the rest of them. Oh, oh, I worked there a couple of vacations, but I don't know. I, I guess I was homesick. Homesick? For Bedford Falls? Yes. And my family and everything. Would you like to sit down? All right, for a minute. I, I still can't understand it, though. You know, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. Would you rather leave? No, I don't want to be rude. Well, then, sit down. What's that? Some joke, huh? Well, see, it still smells like pine needles around here. Thank you. Dance by the 
What's the matter? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I... Nice about your brother Harry and Ruth, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about. Huh? No, 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 marriage is all right for Harry and Marty and Sam and you. Mary, Mary, who's down there with you? It's George Bailey, Mother. George Bailey? What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? Not a thing. I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You tell him to go right back home. And don't you leave the house either. Sam Wainwright promised to call you from New York tonight. What's your mother mean? You know, I, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? I don't know. You tell me. You're supposed to be the one that has all the answers. You tell me. Why don't you go home? That's where I'm going. I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Mary, Mary. The telephone is Sam. I'll get it. Whatever were you doing? It's good to hear. Mary, he's waiting. Hello? Forgot my hat. Hee-haw, hello, Sam. How are you? Oh, well, that's awfully sweet of you, Sam. There's an old friend of yours here, George Bailey. You mean old Mossback George? <laughs> yes, old Mossback George. Yeehaw, put him on. Well, well, just a minute. I'll call him George. He doesn't want to speak to George, you idiot. He does so. He asked for him. Jo George, Sam wants to speak to you. Hi, Sam. Well, George Bailiofsky. Hey, a fine pal you are. What are you trying to do, steal my girl? Oh, well, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, here, here here's Marion. Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to talk to Martha. Tell Marion to get on the extension. You can't. Mother's on the extension. We... I am not. We can both hear. Come here. We're, we're listening, Sam. Well, look, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George. Remember that night in Martini's bar when uh, you told me you'd read someplace about making plastics out of soybeans? Chili beans. You remember out of chili, out of soybeans? Huh. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 soybeans, yeah. Well, listen, Dad snapped up the idea, and he's going to build a factory outside of Rochester. How do you like that? Rochester? Well, why Rochester? Well, I don't know. Just why not right here? You remember that uh, that old tool and machinery works? Well, you tell your father you can get that for a song and all the labor he wants too. Half the town was thrown out of work when they closed down. Was that so? Well, I'll tell him. Hey, that sounds great. Ah, uh, baby, I knew you'd come through. Now, here's the point. Mary, Mary, you're in on this too. Now listen. Have you got any money? Money? Yeah. Well, a little. I want you to put every cent you've got into our stock, do you hear? And George, I may have a job for you. That is, unless you're still married to that broken down building and loan. <laughs> well, this is the biggest thing since radio, and I'm letting you in on the ground floor. Oh, Mary. Mary. 
Well, I, I, I'm here. Uh, will you tell that guy I'm giving him the chance of a lifetime, do you hear? The chance of a lifetime. He says it's the chance of a lifetime. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any ground floors, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're... And you're... George, George, George. Okay, so that, that, I mean, that was a fantastic clip. It doesn't get any better. This, this movie was so well done. So now we fast forward a little bit, right? Right. They're not only Mary and George, they're the Baileys. They're the Baileys. So they've got, they've got a little troop with them. This poor, this poor, poor man. I mean, like the circumstances that happened to this man throughout his life. Here we go. Here's another hurdle. He's getting married. He marries Mary. They get married. They're the Baileys. On their way out, they're in the car for their honeymoon. And they're going on about all the different things they're going to do. Yeah, we're going to go. We're going to throw caution to the wind. We're going to have the greatest time of our lives. It's going to be the most wonderful honeymoon anyone's ever had. In the pouring rain, they notice there's people lining outside the building alone. Oh, no. What's going on? There's chaos. Chaos. People rushing the bank. Why are they rushing the bank, Mario? Why would they be rushing the bank, Jeffro? I believe this was right around the time of the stock crash, right? The stock market crash. Huh. The infamous stock market. We're not talking the Obama era, which was still... No, no. We're talking the... The, the yeah, big the one. 19, 9, 1929? 1930 something? 1929? Something like the, the, the big yeah. one. When, when, I mean, we're talking horrible of horribles. Everybody wants to close their their, their savings account, right? Because the bank's notes are failing, and the bank right. is going to use your money to, to save their notes. And if you don't get your money out now, you're not going to get it. So here goes good old George Bailey to the rescue, right? They lock the doors. George, and, and I can't help but wonder sometimes, you locked your doors, right? All, everybody's outside. What are they yeah, Uncle do? Billy locked the doors because Uncle he doesn't. He, we're going to get scared to death. Uncle, we're going to get into Uncle Billy. Yeah, because, Uncle Billy. Yeah, we may have different opinions on Uncle Billy here, but <laughs> George goes in, opens a little. Oh, what's the matter? Are y'all sitting outside on a right? Let's go. Let's get inside. Uncle Billy, what you close the door for? So he opens up the door. They go inside and everything, and everybody's waiting. They're just kind of looking. It was an odd, eerie moment, right? He goes and he talks to Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy says they call the loans on all the notes, the bank loans, right? Right. And they're so far in debt. They don't have any money at the old building bank alone, right? They just their their account with the banks have been washed, and they still owe money, right? Because in these building and loans, everything's based off of credit, right? Right. So they had to pay off their creditors, and they still owed creditors. So the people that wanted their money, you know, you don't have any money. This was part of the whole crash during nineteen twenty nine. Right. So, so here's George trying to keep the old building alone open. Right during during a time where everybody else is closing their doors to crash and they're going out of business, and as he so states, Potter's not selling; he's buying at an opportunist time. This is what business people do when there's blood in the streets, right? So he buys, and one of the one of the uh, one of the town people say, "Well, Potter's buying our shell our, our shares, fifty cents to the dollar." 
He's giving them half of what their shares well, are worth. Right. Actually, Potter calls him and says, hey, I'm saving the bank. I'm buying the bank. Right. And I'm going to protect all the you know, notes. You know, And I want to do the same thing for you, George. All you have to do is allow me to pay 50 cents on the share. You know, 50 cents on each well, he tells that to the, he, yeah, right. He, he tells it, that to the, the customers, right? Right, right. To go to the building one. He, he tells that to them. And George is trying to tell him, no, don't go running to Potter. This is exactly what he wants. You go running to Potter, you're under his thumb. This right. guy is a, an evil, malice person. He's a monopoly mogul. He wants to right. own everything. So what's what's good old George do? He takes his wedding gifts, his money, his money, which is like two, just over two grand or something, twenty five hundred dollars. Can't remember what it was. He takes his own money, which back then was a lot of money. Oh yeah. He takes this money and he starts giving these people what they want for them to keep their accounts at the old building alone, not to close their account, not to close their account. He does it. He makes it through. He's got two dollars left at the end of the day before the day closes. Closes the door. Sets up for the night. He survived the crash. He, he survived, survived the run. Survived the run. Then he's told Mrs. Bailey, Mrs. Bailey's waiting for you at home. Well, home? What home? What do I? What home? This is old mansion at the beginning of the uh, old hotel. I think it was at the beginning of the movie, where it was kind of like run down and and you know. Kind of beat up. They had some broken windows or whatever. Mary just saw the potential in this thing, right? She goes there. It's leaking. There's water everywhere. He comes home to a leaking home, broken windows, but a beautiful wife sitting there waiting for him with food. I mean, what guy doesn't want food when they come home and a beautiful wife standing next to a nice rotisserie chicken, turkey, whatever it was. <laughs> I mean, that's... I, regardless of the the roof's leaking, fuck it, we'll be okay. Right, and a really cool thing is uh, <laughs> his childhood friends, one which was a police officer and another one was a taxi driver. Um, Bert and Ernie. Yeah, Bert and Ernie. They, uh, they helped his wife set all this up and they <laughs> played music and all kinds of stuff and it was a you know a really touching moment in the movie. Right, he, he, he found another beam of light. Yeah. Right, which was, like you said, a touching point in the movie uh going further now right we get a little bit further into the movie he he's he's got kids right mary mary's pregnant she you know she has a child where they're still building and fixing up this house and time passes on and you know the great war comes and they do the rubber drives and everything and uh Harry. Right, because at this point he can't he can't get drafted. So again, right. you know, at that time you've got to think that you know here's a outside of his hearing he's a well abled body, you know, person, and I'm sure he wanted to enlist because at that time a lot of the men always wanted to, you know, they had a sense of duty to to serve their country. Right, you know, and going back to his friends, I think the um, the uh, the cop friend, I'm not I'm not sure if it was Bert or Ernie, but he was in the infantry in Northern Africa, right. and then the other guy was a paratrooper. The cabbie driver was a paratrooper, right. and they go through the things he did. And his kid brother Harry. was a naval pilot, right? Right, and his his brother actually saved, saved an entire fleet. fleet, yeah, you know, from being bombed, right. right? So he, you know, he becomes a big war hero, and you know, here's George Bailey back in Bedford Falls. Even Sam where, Sam Wainwright, he's making he right, plastic shields for. The, the the planes. Right, right. The domes. So everybody's got these really important things 
and and contributing. And George kind of feels like oh, I'm just back here in Bedford Falls, Bedford you know. Falls, um, air raid, alone. you know, in charge of the air raid, in tra- charge of like rubber drives, like you were right. saying. So again, he feels like he's not part of the community. He feels like he's having a sacrifice. He's, he's stifled. He, he's stifled. You know, he he doesn't see the value in himself because he's living his everyday life and he just at every turn he feels inadequate and, and even even in doing so and one another good a good scene that uh you know i like a lot whenever he goes to help one of his friends one of his uh one of, one of the people of bedford falls uh martini right right he helps him get into a home. Martini, right. his wife, and all of his kids. Right, and and during you know all of these times and everything, and he he fails to realize how, how much he's impacted and changed somebody's life, regardless of how much you know. Martini's telling him, "Oh, I own this place. Mister Bailey, help me out. You know, right. God bless good people." Right, because then that that's the that was the dichotomy between the building and loan and and uh, Potter. Right. Um, what George was doing was he was building homes for people and other people were investing in the building loan. It was kind of like a credit union, right? So his money, you know, if if you put your savings in there, the money didn't stay in there like, like we would initially think today. That money would go directly into building a home for somebody else and you would get your money back whenever they paid their mortgage. Right. With the interest coming back to you. So it, that was kind of a give and take. And he was never George Bailey and his family, even his father, never made any money. It was kind of just like a service to the community because, at his core, he didn't want Potter to be the monopoly in, in the community. Because if you only had one place to go to, then you would have no choice but to bend the knee, right? Right to to Potter. So, yeah, in, in that scene, Martini's leaving the slums. Because initially that was the only place right. he could survive. Right. And the slums were owned by Potter. Right. You know, he was overcharging people. They were overpopulated. The, the, the you know, the apartments were really small. They weren't being and, right. taken care of. And and the scene is Martini's moving out of these slums, getting ready to move into his own home. And, and the pride. And that's, you know, in the beginning of the episode, the, the scene that you showed, a person's value is increased whenever they're invested in the community. Right. They become better citizens. Right? Rather than being told that you're nothing, you're not of any value, you know, you're just a employee, you know, which is something that kind of you you've seen happen Everybody to feels from day to day, right? right. Well, I mean, even we now. All feel that way. I mean, you talk about the candle plant in Kentucky or the Amazon uh, warehouse in Illinois that got hit by the tornadoes. You know, their their safety you know, was minimized. You know, they knew storms were coming and they're like, you leave, you get fired. Right. You know, you're nothing more than a number. Right. Right. You know, and that, that's whenever you look at huge corporate America, when they devalue their employees or they devalue the people who work for them or the people that rent from them or, or all these different scenarios, you don't allow them to be part of the community. Well, and, and, and in that in that case, and we see this all so often, and even now we see it when when you feel when you make an employee feel like they're nothing more than just that than just an employee, you're not going to get any more out of them either. 
I mean, I think a lot of employers fail to realize that. If you don't treat people as people before employees, right, that's all you're going to get. And you're going to get somebody who's even less invested in you as you are in them. It's the same thing. Right. But one of the things I like about this scene the most is uh, not just that, of pulling Martini out of the slums and getting him his own place with his family and everything. And the guy is so happy, just glowing, right? Just so happy he's been given this opportunity to to make, you know, make something and make his family happy and, and get him out of this, this horrible situation over there in, uh, you know, Potter's area or whatever. Potter slums. Right. Uh, we come across Sam Wainwright again, right? The guy who went on to <laughs> right. New York and, and made this huge business and, and he's invested. Right. He's, he's asked George about, you know, where can we set up a plant? And he says, we well, could do it right here in Bedford Falls, you know? Right. So he brought a bunch of jobs into town. Brought yep. a bunch of jobs Classic into plant. town. And at the same time, Sam shows up right when they, you know, help Martini or get the deed signed over to Martini and everything. And uh, Sam shows up with his beautiful wife, you know, all dressed down and a chauffeur and we're on our way to Florida. Hee haw. You know, and both you could now you could see it in Mary too in this scene, which I liked a lot. You could see how life had not only taken its toll on George this whole time, now it's taken its toll on Mary. Well, because right originally Mary was involved with Sam, Sam, right, right. Um, so you know she's kind of partly saying maybe she missed out. Right, you know, on a on a more lavish life, and and George obviously like, oh man, you know, I wish we would have, because even in the scene they talk about, oh don't you know, don't rub it in, right? And George right. says to to Sam, don't rub it in, you know. And he's like, oh no, I'm just because he and Sam turns to his wife and says, hey, I offered him in on the groundwork, you know, on the on the you know, right. build up of this because earlier in the movie, whenever George and Mary are starting to fall, they're kind of sharing a phone call with him with Sam with Sam, right? So. And that's what you were referencing. That's the right. time when George was like, "Hey, listen, where you know?" Because Sam's like, "Where are we going to open up this new plant?" He's like, "I'm going to do it in Rochester." And and George is like, "Well, why don't you do it here? Good old Bedford Falls. You know, you you have a willing workforce. You know, so George is popping Good up every to bring, bring right. jobs here, and he's popping up everywhere. And and what he doesn't, you know, see is he he again he feels his insignificance and. He you know. fails to realize just how important he yeah. is to that community and the different lives he's impacted. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, but now we've got this this level of defeat within both Mary and George at this moment that Sam passes through after they get the, the deed signed over to Martini. We fast forward a little bit. Here we go again. Right? Uncle Billy done fucked up again. Uncle Billy. Hey, I say it all the time, and, and maybe this, maybe this is the harsh side of me just kind of coming out. Okay, Uncle Billy, all right, you fucked up the first time. All right, we love you. You know, don't do it again. Oh, what's the matter, Uncle Billy? How'd you fuck up the second time? Well, you know, you're putting lives at stake here, Billy. Okay, you're fucking up left and right here, Billy. Come on, Billy, what's going on, Billy? Get your shit together, Billy. What's the matter with you, Billy? Fucking fire the guy at this point. <laughs> Right, I know he's he, Uncle Billy. Right, because he, he what you're what you're referencing is he uh, or take it, the responsibility out right, of right. He, he's hands. the de facto treasurer for he for is. the building and loan. Right, so you know it, it, the crescendo it builds up to a scene where uh, at the end of the week he's closing out an account, right, and he he's he goes to the Potter's Bank where the the credit is held, and he he's taking that week's 
interest gains, right? right? Which was like I think it was like eight grand, right? It was something really astronomical for the time, right? Because I, I think I think the average person there's a scene in the movie where he says he makes like forty dollars a week or something. So you know that's what we're talking right. about, you know. And um, he goes to deposit to he goes to the cashier window to deposit this money. Right, and somehow he gets distracted, and Potter comes out of his office, and you know he makes some sort of coy comment. Billy, Uncle Billy, does, and he just basically loses track of the the cash. He's well, he's reading the paper. Uh, okay, yeah, right? he's, he's reading the paper because Harry's in the paper. Right, right, right. He's reading the paper, and he's got the money in the envelope, and the, the the envelopes inside the paper, and he folds the paper up, and he smacks Potter on the on the chest a little bit with the paper. He's like, you just can't keep those Baileys down. Right? Right. Leaves the paper with Potter. Dumbass Uncle Billy. Leaves the paper. Doesn't realize he put the money in the paper. Slaps it on Potter's chest. You just can't keep those Baileys insulting the man. Right? Because this right? is whenever uh, George's brother is shown to be the hero. Right? right. Shown, right. You so, know, saving the fleet. Right. So you got Billy rubbing salt in the wound. Right. Now, those Baileys are doing so well for themselves. So well. And, you know, the, the money's in the envelope. The envelope's inside the paper. And he's rubbing it into Potter. And he smacks him in the chest with it. And leaves the paper with Potter along with the envelope and the $8,000 that he was supposed to deposit into the bank. Good job, Billy. Goes to the bank teller. I'd like to deposit $8,000. All right. Well, you have you got the money? Uh, what? The money? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I get that. He's looking all around for the money. Uncle Billy done fucked up again. Poor Uncle Billy. Can't find the money. He's hysterical, right? So he's looking all over his office, and George comes into the the building alone where Billy's office is. What's going on? Oh, I'm gonna pickle George. I can't find the money. I just had it. I had it. I can't find it hysterically looking all over the place. Mind you, before that, before that, the little looker in town, Violet Bailey, or not ba- Bailey, but Violet. Viola. Viola. Violet. Violet, right. Not Bailey, but Violet. Comes in, she's looking, you know, for a little help, right? An old friend. He says, well, right. you know, I'll help you out. I think what he gave her, like a $20 or something like that. Gives him a kiss on the cheek. You know, he comes out. Doesn't look too good, right? <laughs> Looking to see what's going on with Uncle Billy. He's hysterical. Oh, shit. Would this asshole do again? Can't find the money. Now now George is worried. Right, because what what would happen in that scenario is the, the bank examiner would come in and investigate why well, there might have been, you know. Potter knew he the had the money. Right, yeah. So he called the bank examiner to go investigate the right. Bailey building, building and loan. So he shows up. Now we're in even more trouble. We get the bank examiner here. Uncle Billy lost eight grand. George is frantic. Violet comes out, leaves some, you know, kisses him on the cheek, leaves some lipstick on the side of his face, whatever, you know. I mean, it's just it's a horrible look for George at this point. He's looking all around. He's backtracking the footsteps with Uncle Billy. They can't find the money, which leads us to the point. Of the beginning of the movie. Here, well, here we go. At, at this point, something I want to point out too is um, well, even before that, before we get before Potter, we before actually, the, go ahead. You're right. So, what was it like the day before or something like that? Well, Potter sees Billy looking around for it and realizes that the money is, and like you said, he called the bank examiner. And at this point, he seizes the opportunity. He he believes 
that he can get George Bailey on his side. So he invites George Bailey to his office to offer him a job. And what it's interesting about this is uh, the first thing I noticed about yeah. the scene was that whenever George Bailey went to go sit in the chair, whenever he was being interviewed, which he didn't realize he was being interviewed, good old Potter did one of those classic sort of what, belittling moves where they the chair was, today. yeah, they still do today. The chair was like two feet lower than the desk right. so that whenever you're talking to Potter or the person interviewing you, you're looking up at him. Right. In a position of power, like you're looking up to a judge or something. It's a tactic. It's a tactic. And uh, I thought that was very interesting. But yeah, at this point, you know, Potter offers good old George everything he could ever want. You know, hey, listen, come work for me. I'll pay you $20,000 a year. Right. right. There'll yeah. be, there'll That's be a, a salary you know, back then. Right. And then, hey, listen, maybe even a couple of trips to New York for you and the wife. You know, a couple business trips a year and, you know, you could have a good salary and you you have the nicest house in town and, you know, you can buy your wife nice clothes and all you got to do is just, you know, come over here and, you know. Sell out the building alone. Sell out the building alone. And at first, you know, he kind of is like. He's contemplating. It sounds good. Yeah. And and he's like, oh, well, you know, give me 24 hours. Let me go home and talk to. Sure, sure. Go talk to the wife about it. And then. And trying to depart, George goes to shake his hand and says, thank you, Mr. Potter. And it's almost like those words just were, was like sand in his mouth. Maybe he's it was just like a cold, dead hand. Yeah, they reached, he, he reached across. Sick, right? He knew he was making a deal with the devil. Right, he went to go shake his hand and, you know, he pulled his hand back real slow and kind of wiped his hand off on his blazer. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I don't need 24 hours. I see what you're doing, right? And Almost got him. Yeah, and uh, he basically told him to go fly a kite. And at, at this point, he realized by making that decision that you know he had sealed his fate, and he knew he was going to you know go to prison for fraud, bank fraud, and because when the examiner came, you know that's what's going to happen. You know they're going to ask where the money is, and he's not going to have an answer for him. Right. Well, what's your point, Mister Potter? My point. My point is, I want to hire you. Hire me. Yeah, I want you to manage my affairs, run my properties. George, I'll start you out at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town, buying your wife a lot of fine clothes, a couple of business trips to New York a year, maybe once in a while Europe. You wouldn't mind that, would you, George? Would I? You're not talking to somebody else around here, are you? You know, th- this is me. You remember me? George Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey, whose ship has just come in. Provided he has enough brains to climb aboard. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Well... How about the building and loan? Oh, confounded man, are you afraid of success? I'm offering you a three years contract at $20,000 a year starting today. Is it a deal or isn't it? Well, Mr. Potter, I, I, I know I ought to jump at the chance, but I, I just, uh, I, I wonder 
if it would be possible for you to give me 24 hours to think it over. Sure, sure, sure. You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. Yeah, yes. then in the meantime, I'll draw up the papers. All right, sir. Okay, George. Okay, Mr. Potter. Wait a minute here. Wait a minute. I don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer is no, no. Doggone it. You, you sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You, and that goes for you, too. And it goes for you too. So, so, so we get now. He goes to see Potter again afterwards. Right after the building examiner comes, Potter knows that eight thousand dollars been misplaced because Potter has the eight thousand. Right, 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 right. So, George goes to talk to Potter. Right, he's at his wits' end. I mean, you're at the lowest of your lows when you know you're dealing with the devil and you ask the devil for a favor. Right. So that's what he does. That's exactly what George does. He goes to the devil and he says, I'm in trouble, Mr. Potter. I need help. Through some sort of an accident, my company shortened their accounts. The bank examiner got there today. I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. Oh, that's what the reporters wanted to talk to you about. The reporters? Yes, they called me up from your building and loan. Oh, there's a man over there from the DA's office, too. He's looking for you. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you, please? Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, I'm... George, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. You misplaced $8,000? Yes, sir. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're going to believe that one. What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir, no, sir, I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> well, what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bond? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes. Uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500? And you asked me to lend you 8000 Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you with a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. 
Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have 8,000? You know why? Because they'd run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, George, since the uh, state examiner is still here. As a stockholder of the building and loan, I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Misappropriation of funds, manipulation, malfeasance. All right, George, go ahead, go ahead. You can't hide in a little town like this. Yeah, Bill, this is Potter. He makes the statement, you're worth more dead than you are alive. And Jimmy Stewart's eyes. James Stewart, right? right. It's James Stewart. Yeah. When he looks up after he says that. He planted the seed. Planted the seed, right? The the You can, feel, like, I felt that when I'm watching that scene. Because he to this again to this point this is this is a buildup of the character he's he's like ah I sacrifice this I sacrifice that I constantly sacrificing I have no value I at every turn every one of my dreams are dashed uh, this is going to be a continuing thing for the rest of my life I'm never going to be able to get ahead I'm never going to be able to do the things I want to do and now here I'm gonna I'm looking at prison 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 you know? so. You know, everybody that I've been helping are gonna. Everybody's gonna be looking at me like I embezzled this money. Right, right, right. So he's like, you know, he says you're better, you're worth more dead than alive. Alive. You know, he's like, huh? You're not necessarily wrong. Right. You know, he goes home. George goes home to his wife. A chaotic house. Chaotic kids. Kids. uh, You know, it's just. Draft, you know, oh, it's all drafty house. My wife tells me all the time, every time I watch this, and he, George starts complaining. She's like, that's you. <laughs> that's you when you come home and you're complaining. Because my house, I have an old house. One of the reasons why I bought it, because it, it is an older home, and I like that uh, that older feel. You know, it's got the old woodwork to it, but, you know, it's a lot of upkeep for these older homes, right? But that's one of, we live, or I live in an old town, right? Old town. Old village, right? I'm getting off track here. <laughs> so anyway, he comes home. George comes home. Uh, stupid old drafty house. I'll play the clip. Hello, darling. Hello, Daddy. Hello, Daddy. How do you like it? Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Did you bring the reading? Yes, Daddy. Did you bring the Christmas was it the Merry Christmas wreath? Was it through the window? No, I was left at the office. Is it snowing? Yeah, it just started. Well, where's your coat and hat? Left them at the office. What's the matter? Nothing's the matter. Everything's all right. Come on, Pete. You're a big boy. You can get this star up way up at the top. There it That's is, dear. Right, and you can fill in that little bare spot right there. Isn't it wonderful about Harry? Well, famous, George. Bet I had 50 calls today about the parade, the banquet. Your mother's so excited. She... Must she keep playing that? I have to practice it for the party tonight, Daddy. 
Mom said we could stay up till midnight and sing Christmas carols. Can you sing, Daddy? Better hurry and shave. The families will be here soon. Family? I, I don't want the families over here. Come on out in the kitchen with me while I finish dinner. me! Have a hectic day? Oh, yeah. Another big red-letter day for the Baileys. Daddy, the Browns next door have a new car. You should see it. Well, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Yes, Daddy. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burped. All right, tell me you're excused. Now go on upstairs and see if little Zuzu wants anything. Zuzu? Well, what's the matter with Zuzu? Oh, she's got a cold. She's in bed. Caught it coming home from school. They gave her a flower for a prize, and she didn't want to crush it, so she didn't button up her coat. What is it, sore throat or what? Just a cold. The doctor says it's not. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Yes, I called him right away. Said there's nothing to worry Is she about. running at temperature? What is this? Just a teensy one. 99.6. She'll be all right. Of course, it's this old house. I, I don't know why we don't all have pneumonia. The drafty old barn of a place. Might well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, Troy. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? Dad, how do you spell frankincense? I don't know. If I ask your mother. Where are you going? Going up to see Zeus. You told me to write a play for tomorrow. R-A-N-K-I-N. Hi, Daddy. Well, what happened to you? I want a flower. Uh, oh, wait, Mama, where do you think you're going? Want to give my flower a drink. All right, all right. I'll give, the, give Daddy the flower. I'll give it a drink. No, here. Look, Daddy. Paste it. I'm sure she'll be all right. The doctor said that she ought to be out of bed in time to have her Christmas dinner. Is that Zuzu's teacher? Yes. Let me see. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Welsh. This is George Bailey. I'm Zuzu's father. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean sending her home like that, half naked? You realize she'll probably end up with pneumonia on account of you? George. Is this the sort of thing we pay taxes for, to have, teacher, have teachers like you, stupid, silly, careless people, that send our kids home without any clothes on? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best dressed kids, and maybe they don't have any decent clothes. Oh, that's stupid. Hey, hello, Mrs. Welch. I, I want to apologize. Hello? Hello? She's hung up. I'll hang her up. What is that? Hello, who's this? Oh, Mr. Welch. Okay, that's fine, Mr. Welch. Give me a chance to tell you what I really think of your wife. George, Will you George. get out and let me handle this? Hello. Hello, what? Oh, you will, huh? 
Okay, Mr. Welsh, anytime you think you're man enough, you... Hello? Any... Uh, Dad, how do you spell hallelujah? How should I know? What do you think I am, a dictionary? Tommy, stop that, stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it, stop it! Sorry, Mary. Janie, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I... You go on and practice. Pete, I owe you an apology, too. I'm sorry. What do you want to know? Nothing, Daddy. What's the matter with everybody? Janie, go on. I told you to practice. Now go on, play. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> George, why must you torture the children? Why don't you? Mary. Bed for two, four, seven, please. Is Daddy in trouble? Yes, Pete. Shall I pray for him? Yes, Janie, pray very hard. Me too? You too, Tommy. Hello? Uncle Billy? So there you go. George, George has got a lot on his mind. He comes home. He wants more. He doesn't have more. He, he wants to give his, his family what he feels they deserve. He can't do that. He can't provide. Now he's in trouble. He's been told he's worth more than he dead than he is alive, which is not necessarily wrong. The guy's at his wit's end. He leaves. He goes to what many guys used to do back then, and many guys still do these days. They go to have a drink. Right. To try to forget their woes. And it only numbs the pain for a little while. Right. Your problems never go away. But here we are. George Bailey's at the bar. And who's sitting next to him? A gentleman who is married to his daughter, Zuzu. A gentleman who's married to his daughter, Zuzu's teacher. Right? Right. George just got done telling off because she come home with a cold. What's What do you mean letting, you mean letting my kid come home without a coat on? And she could have gotten pneumonia or whatever. She's not feeling well or whatever. He's worried about his kid and he's got all these things going on in his mind. Choose this woman out on the phone. She's frantic. He ends up at the bar with her husband. And the guy slugs him. Right? Right. What do you mean talking to my wife that way? Which anybody would do. Okay. Well, not anybody, just those who resort to violence like myself at times. <laughs> no, I, I've, I, I don't. I, I got better with that. But just, you know, unless you deserve it. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this guy, I mean, he's all of these things just come down on him and hit him at once. Right. Right. And then we find ourselves where he was at the beginning of the movie. He's on this bridge and he's ready to jump. Uh, yeah, right. At this point, he you know he's praying like you know God, you know uh, I need help. And and going back, call back real quick for reference. 
in the beginning of the movie, one of the things is you hear a lot of these prayers, which is something that first ignites, you know, the conversation between the constellations, between the angels. Right. You know, it's, you know, his mother's praying for him. His wife's praying for him. You know, his children are praying for him. Everybody. Everybody's praying for him. His, you know, his old friend, you know, the pharmacist, Mr. Gower, who, again, going back, uh, I think we forgot to say something. Yeah, we but, skipped that part, didn't we? Uh, what's interesting is he helped out this guy too because he just lost his son he there was a moment in the beginning of the movie where mr gower had lost his son he got a telegram right this is a pharmacist which yeah there might be some uh, correlations here to current time talking about a pharmacist right yeah. um he lost his son to the influenza. flu the influenza the flu but people don't die of the flu these days. not anymore they die of a different flu nowadays um but what was interesting in his grief he was trying to fill an order for a customer, and instead of the medication, Mr. Gower filled it with poison. But George knew better. But George realized he saw the he saw the telegram, and then he saw the the compound that you know Doctor right. or the you know Mr. Gower used that put he put in the capsules. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know of any pharmacists nowadays or any sort of pharmaceutical companies that would give poison out on purpose. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I digress. Sorry. Um, but no, you know, now the person that he helped in, in Mr. Gower is also one of these people praying for George Bailey. Right. Um, so that's brings us to where you were talking about. You know, he's on this bridge and, you know, he's he just can't handle it no more. He's just. He realizes maybe the only way that he can get this money is through, you know, I don't know if they had life insurance back then, but, you know, something along the lines of that sort of payment where he's worth more dead than alive. Who's going to take the fall yeah. if there's nobody and, to uh, take the fall? So, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what he's thinking. So, and in this, Clarence comes down, right? Throws right, yeah. himself into this into right. this river. Or small river, creek, whatever, large creek, whatever you want to call it. Throws right. himself in. Help, help. Good old George, without even thinking, jumps yep. in to save him. Without even thinking, jumps in to save somebody he doesn't know who is in trouble, even right. though he was going to go jump in and kill himself. He ends up jumping in anyway to save somebody, save someone else, rather right. than you know end his own life. Pulls Clarence out, and he goes, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm worth more dead than I am alive, or so I've been told. And Clarence says, well, you shouldn't say things like that. Clarence is thinking, you know what? That might work. Let's yes, make it so. Because he, yes, right, he references up to Joseph or the heavens. Joseph, right. And he says, hey, that's not a bad idea. And remember, what was Clarence in, in his life? He was a clock right. maker. So it's interesting that, you know, this dynamic of time. So, so Clarence makes it so, right? They right. go back into town. And George is noticing everything's changed. Right, hey. Mar- Martinis is no longer Martinis. Nope, not owned by Martini. It's this old. It's this dive bar that's just you know, not a good place where everybody can. It's not like Cheers, you know. No, it's like everybody a modern. It's like modernized, very right. sleek. You know, sharp lines. It's you know, uh, corporatized, right? Very down- like all of Bedford Falls, which is now Pottersville. Now it's Pottersville, right? It's not Bedford Falls no it's more. Not Bedford Falls. It's Pottersville. So now. 
Pottersville. He goes into Pottersville. He George doesn't like what he sees. No, because there's a uh, neon lights everywhere. It's it's you know, it almost looks like it's for the lack of a better term been Las Vegas sized. Right? There's a cat house. There's right. Uh, you know, all these bright lights. It's and there's no. Uh, he goes to the. There, old, there's no allure. Like right, right. He goes and uh, you know, he he's seeing some of the different people that he knew and they don't know him. Uh, they don't recognize him because he never existed. He was never born. Uh, he finds out that his brother Haley or Haley Harry, Harry had fallen into the ice and died and died along with all those people that he saved uh, during his time as a pilot on the uh, right. All those people died in the war on the, war, on the fleet. On the fleet, all those people died. He, Harry wasn't there to save them. Mister Bauer actually killed that right that He's, child that he was supposed to send medicine to. In pr- what he, what he went to prison. They were talking he went to prison, prison, and he prison. now instead of being a respected, you know, part of the community, he's a homeless person that they're right. You know, all he's all disheveled at this point, and you know, he, he's shocked by his appearance, like Mister Power. You know, in you know, right. The farmer's is like, I don't know you. You know, who are you? And then, uh, right. So he even goes to see his mother. Mom doesn't recognize. Mom him. doesn't recognize him. Uh, goes to see his house. He goes, oh, just take me, take me to my home. Right. right. Cause he's talking to his, his, uh, taxi buddy. Right. Right. Take, take me to my home. He takes him there and it's, it's this old rundown place. It was never fixed up. It was never, you know, renovated to, to home, a family. He goes, well, then take me to Mary. Show me where's Mary. Oh, you're not going to like it. Take me to my wife. Mary doesn't recognize. She's an old librarian. Right, that's what that's what Mary was. She was an old librarian. Does not recognize George because George was never around. Right. It's all chaotic for him at this point. He he right. truly sees you know how much his life has impacted the different people around him, the town, how much how how important he really is. Even though he right. didn't go to war, he didn't go uh, on on his different trips. He didn't go to college. Right, and you know what? One more real quick callback uh, before we go any further. Uh, along this montage, he actually goes to the graveyard as well to see his father's gravestone. And what's interesting is when we first started this episode, after that scene where he's at the board meeting, the city board meeting, he goes back to his office whenever he's contemplating whether he's going to take over the Bailey building and loan. And uh, there's a photo of his father in the office, and there's a there's a little quote underneath his father's photo. And then George at this time is sort of referring back to it whenever he's at his gravestone here at the end of the movie. And I, I freeze framed that, and I wanted to read that quote um, on that memory in memorandum or in memoriam right. photo that was in the office underneath his father's photo it said all you can take with you is that which you've given away you know referencing back to the the previous podcast we did about manifestation you know it's not about the physical things you know again all you can take with you you know in the you know into the hereafter is what you've given away right right there's no and i've said this before there's there's no moving van behind the hearst 
Right. You know, all your worldly possessions, you can't take them with you. It doesn't matter how many worldly possessions you even, have. Even the clothes you're dressed in, they don't go with you. No. So uh, that was a very interesting quote. But all these things are sort of, you know, building up in his mind. You know, all these things he's realizing. You know, whenever he's seeing all these different things and he's just... It, it's really disturbing him. All these different things that Clarence has shown, how he impacted people's lives and how everything was so different. It, it, it just throws him for a loop. It, he, he really realizes how much, like you were saying, how much of an impact he was, how important he was to other people. Right? Right. Even though his dreams were not being fulfilled, he was fulfilling other people's dreams. Right. So... At this point, he starts, he breaks down. I want to be born. Let me be born. Please. Right, because he realized he made a mistake and he wished that he, he was never born. Right. right. So Clarence gives it all back to him, right? He goes running back into town. Oh, it's the old building alone. Oh, Merry Christmas movie house. You know that scene? I'll right, right, right. Because, I'll play that scene. Yeah. Yeah! Okay, so he ca- he comes back and he knows, even in his mind, he knows, well, I'm still on a big heap of shit, but look what I have done, right? You can right. throw me in prison. If you're going to throw me in prison, you're going to put me away, do so. I'm going home to my family for one last moment. Right. He goes home. Guy's happier than a pig and shit, right? And we've referenced pig and yeah, shit pig before. And shit. <laughs> happier than pig and shit. So he goes home and... Uh, isn't it great? My mouth's bleeding, Bert. What do you know, right? He goes, <laughs> goes back home, and his family's all happy. And you know, well, they're this, they're concerned for him. They were glad he walked in the door because they, you know, they had been calling around trying to find him because right. the entire town was looking for him. And, and, right. So, so he comes in, and something, a miracle happens. Right. All those people and all those lives that he touched, they all. Come together. Right. They had heard that he was in trouble. They had heard that the bank examiner was in town and somehow right. Uncle Billy fucked up again. Right. And, uh, you know, everybody that he touched during his life, everybody that helped him, you know, everybody that he helped put into a home, everybody that, you know, had loans at his, you know, building, you know, um, all the people he worked with, you know, brother Harry, Sam Wainwright, everybody, and he ends up with more more money than what it takes to. to right, buy they, that they all come. They all come rushing into the home and they start dumping money on the table to try to accumulate this this you know missing money. Right. And that's that's the movie, right? And at the end, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wing. That was kind of right. like the note for right, 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 because they getting uh, his wings, right, 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 because at the beginning, yeah, uh, Clarence references. Uh, 
the motivation for him not only to help George is the fact that he's one of the few angels that doesn't have his wings. Right. Right. And he had to earn his wings by doing good deeds for, you know, humans on, on, on this earth. And, um, so, so let's, now that the movie, you know, we, we've gone through the movie. Right. Right. right? Let's, let, let's do like a, a little bit of a takeaway for a few minutes here, a, a takeaway for this movie, which, one of the I read an article was it two or three years ago that kind of upset me a little bit, right? Disturbed me a little bit. They were talking about the movie and how it was a piece of propaganda. What movie isn't propaganda? If you don't go to watch a movie for an emotional investment, you're not watching a good movie, right? You're watching a sales pitch, right? I look for propaganda in a movie. It's what happens when you cipher the movie, right? When you interpret the movie, what are you taking from it? And that's what we're going to do here. So, yeah, if you want to call this movie propaganda, okay, that's fine. Don't demonize it as horrible propaganda. Well, what would be the propaganda, though? I, well. The nuclear family? There, there's so many different aspects of this that is, it is propaganda, right? But, but and here's something else, because we did an episode on propaganda, right? We're talking about movies and music. The propaganda is that to make you feel a certain way. Who says it has to be a negative way? Who says it has to be negative propaganda? Because to me, I could watch a movie that makes me realize, which this movie does from time to time, that's why I like it so much, and no matter how bad things are, you play an important role in other people's lives. Sometimes you've got to take your mind away from the selfishness that we get stuck in or the the negative things that are imprinted on us, maybe from our jobs and our everyday mundane lives, right? Maybe we want a little more. Maybe it's time to slow things down and realize you know, how important we are and how much we impact those around us and how good we really do have it from time to time. Right? Let's not forget these key moments. In many ways, we're we're better off than the elites. In many, many ways. They'll never know. They will never know. They're too blind by their own greed. They will never ever know. Well they will right, exactly. Um I, I don't know what that author was talking about in that article that you you referenced, but uh, I don't really see propaganda in the film. Uh, I think it does a really good job of actually highlighting the the, the dichotomy between class warfare, which is well, really sure. what, what we see now is class warfare. But that in itself, again, that in itself is propaganda. Um, While you're giving is a propaganda if it's true. Well, it's true. <laughs> no, and, and I agree with you. It is true, and you're giving you're, you're you're shedding light on fact, which is true. But even in that fact, what you've also done is made people feel a certain way about it. So I, it, there's a fine line in which you you uh you and I in April talked about on the the episode of propaganda. It was a fine line when she says, "I I don't really know the difference." Well, then you right. got it. You right. got it. And then we were talking about the same thing here. To me, again, I 
I'm a big movie buff. I love going to the movies. I love, I love doing. I like doing shit, man. I like enjoying my life as much as I possibly can, right? So when I do and I get a chance to go watch a movie, one of my favorite movies was uh, always has and always will be Forrest Gump, right? That movie has so much, and the different things throughout the different decades that Forrest Gump goes through. It's just such an emotional time, you know, with war, with uh, you know, investments, with you know, him not having all these smarts, the college thing, the college scene, and all the while, you know, seeing everything that his partner Jenny's gone, or not his partner, but the girl he wanted, Jenny, was, it's an emotional movie. If you're not emotionally attached, then you're not watching a good movie. And right. that's that, something this movie did. It kept you emotionally attached, which is propaganda, but it's not bad. No, no. I mean, that, you know, Forrest Gump actually has a, a little tie in with this movie in the fact that simple actions and all the simple things that Forrest Gump did and interacted with, you know, everything from yes. the ping pong to the war, you know, he was a simple man to Watergate to Watergate. He right. was right. He was just a simple man doing what he believed were mundane issues, but he was affecting history. Oh yeah. Right. And that, and, and that's what we're talking about here with George Bailey, you know, a, a simple man, who was basically just doing what he believed were mundane actions and, and events in his life, but he didn't realize the impact that he was making. Right. And that's something else that we talk about on this podcast quite a bit. And we, I, at least I want to make sure those who do find this podcast and listen to it understand that you are more powerful than you can even imagine. Yeah, we say it all the time. I say it all the time outside of this podcast. To people that I know and I talk to, uh, you know, a coworker of mine, I say to him all the time. I mean, he's a little bit younger than me. He's got a little boy, and one of the things he was fretting about. And I, w- I want to send this message out to everybody who's listening right now, because um, this this episode is going to drop right before Christmas. The holidays have a way of making us feel like we should be doing more. Uh, you know, maybe the Joneses are, you know, they got their new kid, a new car, or a, a new video game system, or whatever. A car with a bow on it. Right. Every come year. Come on, man. I, come on. Right? <laughs> and it's a sales pitch, right? And it's com- it's the commercialism of the holidays that makes us feel so horrible about ourselves. And that was something Charlie Brown pointed out. Oh yeah, you got you got to get out there on Black Friday for all the deals. And and let's not forget about Linus and Charlie Brown. I'm going to play that clip here. What is Christmas really about, Linus? Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God 
and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. See, sit there you go. Linus even knows better, right? <laughs> so it's not the commercialism. I, I, I cannot stress this enough to our listeners, wherever you are, do not get stuck in the commercialism of the holidays. This is a time to be with your loved ones. This is a time to realize how good we have it, how good life really is. Just because of who we are and the people we have around us, right? This is a positive time. Don't let the commercialism drag you down into the negative dumps of what they call Christmas. That's not, or, or the holidays or whatever you're celebrating. That's not what this time of year is about. That is not what it's about. Don't let that happen to you. So if you're worried or you're, you're, you fret for those gifts that you want to get your children that you just can't. I remember a time when I got one of my children. It was, they were young and I wanted to do more for them. And I did. And uh, I got, uh, what was it? I got my son a Power Wheels, right? I did that. And I, I was happy. I got him one of those Power Wheels, like a little Humvee Power Wheels. And I thought that was the coolest thing. My kid's going to love it. And you know what they did? My son did. Um, oh, cool. He was just little. I think he was like four or five. I can't really remember. And I also got him a Mr. Potato Head. And he didn't touch the Power Wheels for like well, at least a month. <laughs> he didn't mess with the Power He wanted that. He every day with the Mr. Potato Head. Every day with the Mr. Potato Head. He liked the Power Wheels, sure. But the Miss Potato Head, that was that was where it was at. So if yeah, I you was, could put the eyes where the ass is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look, Dad, I made a politician. Uh, <laughs> so so you could like you never know, right? You never know. It's not about money. And and, and let me let me stress this to the listeners as well. You can buy your loved ones, your family, and all this stuff. You can buy them all this shit and this and this deep commercialism stuff, right? I could buy my kid a game, but if I'm not going to sit down and make those memories and play that game with them, that game is fucking worthless. It's worthless. It's the memories we create As, and the and, time and, we spend, and the memories and time. That's seems to be a recurring theme here in the last couple episodes. You know, it's, again, not the physical, right? You, you touched on something. A lot of times when we give gifts, we're expecting a certain reaction because we want to, it's almost a self-fulfillment of feeling good about giving something. Oh, they're going to love this. They're going to love this. Right. Right. And, it, and it's it's almost a selfish feeling, right? You I'm not perfect. Feel, I've fallen victim to it many yeah, times. Yeah, we all have. We all have. And um, what really is Christmas the what's the most magical part of Christmas for a lot of people is the anticipation it's the night before oh it's the yeah the it's, anticipation it's, it's, it's the feeling of what might happen which is a which is an emotion right it's, it's a non-physical excitement once the presents are ripped open and you have the gift yeah you know you're you're glad to have it but you know that feeling quickly wanes right, right. You know, kind of like a vaccine. Um, 
or the, feeling, to, the feeling of security quickly wanes. Or if you're not away, you know, you're away from home, you're on your way back home, whatever, you got to go to the bathroom really, really bad, right? It's the anticipation to get back to the bathroom. And then once you go home and, you know, you go to the bathroom, you come back out and you're like, ah, oh, that was nice. Now what? <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, but seriously, it's uh, it's not what you give, but how you make the person feel. Right. Right. It's right. going back to the Maya Angelou quote, right? People will never forget how you make them feel. Right. And it's, it's the fact, it's, it's not the fact that there are gifts under the tree. It's just that there are gifts there to be opened. Right. And don't, right? do not forget that there are certain, there are people out there, there are children out there who don't have these things you know maybe maybe you know somebody out there who who could use something maybe you maybe you can change somebody's outlook by simple act of kindness maybe you can help a child by donating a toy or something like that and i'm 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 not getting paid to to say these things but honestly really if you know somebody out there uh, who's struggling right now or, or you know maybe they have children that don't necessarily have anything. Maybe they're going without this year. Do something. It doesn't have to be extravagant, but anything. A, a simple act of kindness goes so much further than the biggest gift you can give them. Because yeah. that is the biggest gift you can give them. Absolutely. And it, it, the gift isn't valued by the dollar sign dollar, that you... Right. You know, exactly. that you, you know, if you go and you spend... Let me tell you something about my upbringing. The one thing that I needed every year was a football. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's all that's right. I ever – because you know what the football provided me was the ability to go outside and play with my friends. Right? You go to your friends and say, hey, let's play football. Who? Okay, who's got the football? Oh, shit. We don't have football. We can't play. But as long as I had a $5 football, it could have been a plastic football, could have been a Nerf football, could have been one of those rubber footballs, those real heavy rubber footballs. Right. Could have been one of those fake leather footballs that were hurt like shit whenever it got cold. We got, I remember playing in the snow back in the day when we were kids with our buddy Will, and we'd go with, you know, throwing that football. It was like three or four kids, right? Yeah. On a football team, three or four kids. Yep. You go winging that ball in the air, man, in the cold, cold air. You try catching that ball with your bare hands because you're not going to football. You're oh. not going to do it with cloth gloves, right? No. That ball's going to go right through those gloves and smack <laughs> you in the face. Happened many hands, times, right? Your hands are freezing. That leather is so hard in the cold winter weather. It goes rolling around in the snow. But you know what? What we're talking about right now. Fond memories. Yes. And it didn't matter if it was a plastic $5 football from the dollar store or if you would have went out and spent $50 on a genuine leather football. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The $5 football was just as good as the $50 one. Yeah. And guess what? You spend $5 on the plastic one. Now you got $45. You can go get more gifts. So what we're telling you to all of our listeners out there, take the time. If you got gifts, you give them to your loved ones, your children, your your significant other, whatever. That's fine. Spend the time. Take the time. Create the memories. That's the most valuable thing is time. It's the most valuable. Again, that's going to stay with that individual forever. And you know what? Maybe this time next year, you're going to create new ones. You're going to want to. You're going to want to redo that. You're going to want that time back again and keep doing it because that's what matters, right? It's the time. 
and the memories that you spend with your loved ones. So from from Jeffro and I. From the machine. From the machine. To all of you out there, wherever you are, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah. We love you guys. And give us two or three weeks to be with our families and create these memories before we jump back into another episode to release for you guys. And we will. We got some heavy stuff we're, we're going to get into. But uh, from from us to you, thank you, all of you. Thank you. Absolutely. Until then. Until then. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight marks an historic, not to say unique, moment in the history of both television and cinema. After a search of nearly 40 years, the fabled lost ending to Frank Capra's 1947 film, It's a Wonderful Life, has been found. Tonight, for the first time anywhere, Saturday Night Live is proud to present this priceless footage, the fully realized vision of an authentic American genius. So without further ado, here is the lost ending of It's a Wonderful Life. All they said was if George Bandy needs help, we're here to help him. Oh, well, Mary, Mary, I never realized I had so many friends. And, and a, a man who, who has a friend is a rich man. That's what Clarence said. My golly, he was right. We wouldn't have a roof over our head if it wasn't for you, George. Well, thanks, Dave. Thank you. Pardon me. Oh, Harry. Hello, George. How are Welcome home, Harry. Merry Christmas, George. Now, wait a minute, everybody. I've got a telegram here I want to read. From London. Dear George, stop. Mr. Gower cables, you need cash. Stop. My office instructed to advance you up to $8,000. Oh, stop. Oh Yeehaw and Merry Christmas. Sam Wainwright! Oh, Harry, Mary, hold him for you. Yeah, it's head of George. 